When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org, from Louisville Public Media. Consequence Podcast Network. Hey, welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with... It's the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org. Consequence and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thanks, as always, for making your way here checking out the series. Uh, you know what to do. You like what you see, what you hear. Hit that subscribe button. I put out three new interviews every single week, new and every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones as well at iTunes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Podchaser, NPR, YouTube for the video versions, or anywhere you get your podcasts from. Subscribe to Kyle Meredith with. That's me, I'm Kyle Meredith, today talking with Kay Tempest. We're going to be discussing The Line is a Curve, the English spoken word poet, novelist, playwright, recording artist. They truly are a multi-hyphenate. Uh, going to tell us about using uh, characters to work out their own issues, having Liana Lahavis and uh, Fontaine's DC members on the guest on the, to guest on the record. And the self-fulfilling prophecy found inside one of the songs as well. Tempest also going to talk about recording the album, get this, in one take, three different times, in front of three different single-person audiences of different backgrounds and ages. It's, it's, it's Seriously, I've never heard of this done before. Uh, and also how the record was made to be uh, cyclical, not just for the music uh, to begin where it ends, but also to highlight their perseverance within the lyrics. So let's do it. Talking about the line as a curve, it's Kyle Meredith with Kay Tempest. Hey, I am such a fan of what you do. I got uh, the last record right here behind Aww. me. I think that was one of my favorites of that entire year. Amazing. And uh, just continuing, congratulations on this one. This is so much further even than that. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this one, the last one, and for those kind words. I appreciate it. So I, I, I just will start a little broadly, if you don't mind here. What's the story that you wanted to tell uh, on this record? Well, it's funny that like, when I'm starting to make a record, uh, I'm just following. I do, we, we get started. We've got. I've, I have no nothing written down on the paper. I go to Dan Carey's studio, and it's a blank slate, and we just follow the ideas. Usually, for a few days, we're just finding out uh, what it is that we that we're feeling. You know, it, it just starts happening, and then there comes a point within the process when we've generated a bunch of demos where it's like, okay, I understand the shape that this is taking, and then usually around that time. I don't know, like some time goes past, I start to get a title, 
And then at that point, I kind of slip more into the driving seat. I take the reins. I ask the ideas to follow me rather than I'm following him. So it's like it's a mixture of me knowing what I wanted from it and also me asking what it wanted from me. So, I mean, it might sound a little esoteric to put it like that, but that's just kind of how how I experience it. So this record for me is about it's about resilience and acceptance and surrender and love and um, struggle. But you know, at the beginning of the process, I, I didn't know where it was going to go. This is just where it ended up. You talk about uh, a lot of the characters in these songs being under certain amounts of pressure and finding the obstacles to go along with that. As you write in that way through characters, I, I imagine though that's the, you're in those characters. What what's the parallel there? Because the problems they're facing are they the problems that you were facing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, I think that, I mean, maybe it's different for every single person that writes lyrics or characters, but I think that it has to begin in some lived truth. Like, it's always from life. That's how it finds its way into the work. Otherwise, it's it, it begins in some real need for understanding or processing, or there's just some part of you that needs to work this thing out. Or it's like an older self, a higher self, somebody else coming into your head and saying, it's all right, I've, like, I'm going to help you work this out. This is what's going on. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's always it's always from my life what I make. Well, it's kind of interesting the way you do put it in these characters. Like I, I was looking at um, uh, the person in No Prizes because there's, there's a journey even this character goes on. And, and I don't know if I'm understanding it right, but it, it almost feels like the musician who never made it, which isn't your path at this time you you seem to be the one who does make it so so what what happened there what why why do you think that character took that journey whereas that's not your story yeah yeah i understand uh so no prizes for me um it was a really amazing process so leanne lehavis who sings the chorus she came into the studio she's a friend and she came down and we didn't know what we were going to make she just came down i had some lyrics that i'd written but they weren't the lyrics that I was happy with it. it was just writing that day and she started to sing and it was really cool because me working with a vocalist who works with melody she was just like riffing on melody she's like maybe it's a two syllable da, 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 that maybe it's like da, 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 da. like maybe that's the word i want to say so i'm like oh it was it's so cool it's like a kind of liberating experience to be led by melody you know you know the words aren't leading the way was, so then once we had found this chorus and she'd put that down because of the quality of her performance and the quality of her voice, I just started to think in pictures and the lyrics that I had, I, I realized they weren't the right lyrics. I wanted, I wanted these stories. I wanted these characters and they just, they just came, they just came into the room once, once I had heard what melody does to lyrics. So if I say, I just want to keep climbing, I mean, it doesn't do the same thing to me that hearing her sing it. It's so, evocative it brings like the scene to life it's the camera angle the lighting the, you know it's everything and and the lyric is like the dialogue or something like that that's how i understood it and then the characters they're three people three people i know and love people that i had just been hanging with like that week that you know people when i'm with my friends it impacts upon me how they're doing i, I feel them very strongly and if i spend time with somebody I carry it around like I think about it afterwards how are they like what happened when they said that what did they mean are they you know like I have this really busy brain and um so it's just a way of me kind of I don't know like showing love to the people that I love but 
but also just reflecting on experiences that I've had when I when I've when I've listened to what people tell me about how they feel it's like that's how I understand well it's it's also interesting the way it all plays together I mean Chris you have uh uh Liana there and and you know uh, bringing more of the hook and, and sometimes background but but then you know you've you've got to grind from Fontaine's DC in here and when he steps up this is like another character to me to the point where it, it takes it from being I, I don't know do you see it this way like uh in moments like that it, it's not your album your solo album it almost feels like a play at that point cool that's so cool <laughs> yeah I like it's so cool to that yeah just to talk about it is enjoyable i think that with green i just felt such a, a connection with him his he's a real poet for me like he this guy's a true poet and he's incredible on stage he's an incredible incredible performer it's like he just opens his heart and he just lets everybody in the room like into his raw essence it's like there's there's no filter you know as they say and there's something about him that i find completely captivating and when he was you know he's also he'd worked with Dan Carey before so we had met each other a few times and we've hung out and I just I, I dreamed of him and then he was like yeah cool I'm up for it and he came down and he he told his poem it wasn't quite as um, rigorously constructed as it would have been if it had been a play it wasn't quite like that it's not like I was conceiving characters and kind of bringing them on and taking them off and having this master plan it was so much more intuitive and this process for me is actually really musical, like much less um, kind of narrative led or, or like, yeah, like tightly focused when I'm creating something for the stage or fiction or some story that has to be really tight and the world has to be really complete. With this, it was just like, to be honest, it was like, this would be cool. And it was. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's interesting. But it should be said, like you, we're coming right off of uh, stage uh, productions and adaptations right before this, right? Yeah, kind of all at the same time. Um, I'd been working on this play I wrote called Paradise that was on a, um, it's like the biggest theatre in England. So it's it's a huge thing. I, it's my third, it's my fourth play. Um, and for a playwright, it's like the it's like the Super Bowl or something. I don't know. Like if that's the, I don't even know if that's a good analogy because I don't even know what the Super Bowl is. Like, I don't know. It's American thing. It was a great halftime show, and Beyonce shows up. I get what you're saying, right? Right. Yeah. So it's a huge thing, and uh, I was I was very much consumed with this process of like, oh wow, the play's finally going on because for ages it was locked down. It what it was meant to go on, it couldn't go on. You know, it's got 13 actors in it. Suddenly, there's all this COVID stuff that means, oh, can you cut the cast down by half and and so the studio was like, um, I suppose it was like a, a response to some of the, some of the pressures of that situation. Although I didn't find the, that pressuring really. It was there's something that happens when you're working on two, three things at the same time, where you you retreat to another form to just give you some uh, creative space from the intensity of each of them. So for sure, like what was happening in the rehearsal room for Paradise would have had an effect on what happened in the studio for this album, but I, I can't really put my finger on what. No, it, it's interesting because like I was talking about with, with Green, um, like on a hip hop record, you typically when you have guests take verses, it sounds like a guest taking a verse. It doesn't sound like that with this one. And for me, 
as an outsider not being in your life and everything that that's where that bleed starts to happen it's like oh yeah. maybe it was unintended but that's sort of how i hear it with what you were doing with yeah. the stage and how it found its way onto the record beautiful it's so cool yeah yeah i think like what graham brings to that song is just the song's called I, I I Saw Light and he kind of illuminates it. He brings a different light in, you know, suddenly the lights change and like what he what he brings is so beautiful. I love that song. It was like um I don't know, when I wrote that lyric it was like a it was almost like a prophecy, you know. I because like that the exact scene that I described in that lyric hadn't happened in my life and then it happened it exactly happened that I did I was on the bridge. Basically, the chorus goes, I saw light in the buildings at night. I saw light in the windows as I passed them by. On the river, on the bridge, on the ledge, on the side of your face at the bar, it went dark. I saw light. And like then I had this summer where I was working in town at that theatre on the river. I was out. I fell in love. We were, we were like walking by the river. We were in the bars. Like I did see the light on her face. The lights on the water were really important. It had gone dark and I did see light. You know, it was just like, it's crazy. Like... So that, that song is so special to me because it was like, I was writing it, trying to get myself into a place where I could believe in something that I, I hoped was coming. And then it did, it did arrive. Crazy. There's some real magic in there. You should uh, use that for your other powers. If yeah. You can. So, yeah. It's a big responsibility. What should I wish for? I don't know. <laughs> Just make sure you put that in there and then here we go. <laughs> Um, you've, you've talked about it being more of a, of a musical album too. When you're, when you're writing now, do you think of in the terms of writing in, in hooks, uh, in ways that maybe you wouldn't in, in, in just typical spoken word? Yeah. I, I think this is a musical album. I think these are songs, uh, it feels different to when I'm working in different forms, like the book of chaps and lessons, the album from before, it's like a kind of dramatic monologue. It's very considered. Everything is it's long form that it could be, it's kind of one poem, but these are songs, I think. And yeah, like a song like move, for example, that hook, I'll fight you till I win. It's like, that's a hook. <laughs> that's I think it's a hook. Like, and I love, we've done a few shows now. It's we've, we've started to get the album on its feet. We've played a couple of shows and every time that song comes, I'm just like, yes, you know, I'm really ready to just like, let some, let it happen. Like, you know, uh, the first time I heard the record and I heard it in, I mean, I heard more pressure because we're playing it at WFBK, yeah. but um, I heard it as a, as a complete, you know, piece, this one on a treadmill. I was like, oh, I'll put it on while I run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And let me tell you, it was perfect. For the, like <laughs> I was shadow boxing. I was, I was hitting the beats. I was, I was light. I, I was beat sabering on the treadmill, I think is what was going on to your record. So amazing. That's so good to that. Yeah. It's at the perfect point as well. That means like, if you get to move, that's you're 30 minutes in, or 35 minutes even. You, that's a that's a nice session. Yeah, yeah that's, that's when you perfect. really need it. That's when you need the like. Yeah, cool. Okay, I'm happy to help. Yeah, no, thank you for that. <laughs> thank you for that. No was this the? Uh, I hope I'm not getting mixed up. Was this the album that you experimented with recording it in front of the small audiences, or was that the last one? No, it was this one. It was, I um I did the whole vocal take as one take like a whole pass at the album. I did it three times in one day to each time to an audience of one. Um, uh, and then I decided to do it to three different generations. So the first time I did it was to a man who's 78. The second time was to a person of my own age. Uh, she's also someone from my neighborhood, a poet I know well, 
she's a few years younger than me. I think she she was like maybe twenty nine or thirty when we did this recording, and then there were there were like young people, kids who were 12, four, 12, 15 and 16. I decided to do three of them because I thought it was just too intense to just have, to just be on your own. <laughs> like, you know, it's like hard enough to do it to three of them. That The scariest thing was, was recording to the kids, to be honest. That was the hardest take because I just was thinking, are they okay? Like, are they overwhelmed? Should I, like, should I be pulling the punches? And it's like, actually, if you can't, if you can't say this stuff, any if you if I can't speak my lyrics to young people, then I shouldn't be speaking to them at all. Like these, these are the things that are affecting them more than us, you know. So uh, it was very interesting processing how the different generations impacted the same words. They were completely different things each time. It's crazy. Could could you tell which um, like were they? holding your gaze i mean could you tell which parts were landing and in, in was it were they different for each yeah. audience yeah like the the older guy he he got tearful at one point that didn't affect the others in that way and it kind that really affected me i was like i was really moved by wondering what had moved him you know i don't he's an incredible guy but i don't he i don't know him so i don't know his life i've heard i heard some things about his story but Obviously, I just started thinking like, "Wow, I wonder what's resonated," and and then with the with with the person I knew, with my friend, it was just um, yeah. That that was, I think that for some musicians, it would be the most like the worst idea ever to just try and play your album to like someone you know like alone, just you and that person. Like, I could imagine it being just the cringiest thing. But actually, for some reason, I felt completely empowered to just yeah, just. I don't know. It was like I was explaining to her in the take why I had made her come all the way out across town, sit in this weird room while I did my album. <laughs> like It was like I was trying to explain to her not only what I was saying in the lyric, but also justify why I had asked her to be a part of this random thing. I think I'd rather have it like that, like, you know, in the music industry, we're, we're in these moments every now and then where we do get to listen to a brand new record before it's come out. And sometimes the artist will be there. And I've had those moments where the artist just sits there like, wow, yeah. <laughs> you know, the CD plays in the background and just, what do you yeah. do? You're like, what if they were performing? I mean, that, you know, then it's, it's different. Like I would, I would much rather have it this way. So. Yeah. But the thing is about the performance is like, and the people that were in the room, they, that was collaboration. Like I was working with them, you know, they were really a part of it because that's, that's why we were there together. Like, that's what makes the album what it is, that it's really happening. That is, I'm really going through the album in real time as you are, as you listen to it. Like there's, there's this kind of endurance thing that's happening, but also it's real communication. So it, that thing about listening, like putting an album on and having an artist in the room listening and like studying how people respond. And if somebody, you know, looks at the wall in a certain point, then they drop that song off the record. I've heard about all those kinds of things before. My friend was like, is that what it's going to be? Is this going to be like that? I was like, no, 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 no. Like, I can't explain what it is because I don't know what it is because we haven't done it yet, but it won't be that, you know? And what an unfair situation, by the way, like looking at the wall, like, I just don't want to look at you while I'm listening, I, you know, that's, know, that's all there was, you know? I know, I know. So many great songs may have lost a history just because of those moments right there. That's right. <laughs> so, so, so the album, we go through this journey and then we hit more pressure right before the end. 
and this is a, a very important moment. Like, as you've said before, it all leads here uh, in a way, even though there's a coda after that with Grace. But at, at what point did you, like for the album to arrive at that point, at what point did that song come in the writing process? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I don't know. Like, it was like the writing process interlaps with this whole last two years. And so time just has completely disappeared from my understanding. I've got no grasp on how any of that time worked. I I can't really tell you. I I feel like we wrote it kind of halfway into the process. I feel like we, we had written more pressure before we'd written These Are The Days or Grace or Water In The Rain. But to be honest, I don't, I don't know. It's so but then weird. at some point you realize that this is going to be the moment on the record. Yeah, yeah. So the first thing you're doing is just following it. You're just seeing where it takes you. I don't really know where we're going. We're just following it. Like, yeah. And then at some point you're like, I, I know exactly where we're going. And then you start to like pull these different pieces together and then understand how they all relate to each other. And then you fill in the blanks. You know, you start to think about the arc of the album. And then we, we wrote all those beautiful bits that link all the songs together and you have this kind of suite of, uh, like this, the, the musicality becomes this, I don't know, these kind of arms encircling the whole thing, carrying this whole piece. It, it's um, it's a process that once it's all finished, it's it, it seems like it was always meant to be that way, but for a lot of it, you're just following. You don't, you're not yeah. like, I don't know. I love it, especially some of my favorite artists, when you kind of get that peek behind the curtain, because sometimes you do, sometimes you create a piece as a piece, and a lot of times you jam something into existence, you know, with, with a bunch of friends. I think Bjork was doing a, an interview recently, and I heard her say that um, somebody said, so what's it going to be? And she's like, I don't know, we just play around until it makes sense. And I think with Bjork, like, much like I, I'm, I'm actually putting you all in that same sentence because it does sound like it's supposed to be like that, you know. So it's yeah. it's kind of beautiful the way it happens. Yeah, um, and it yeah. was it's so refreshing for me because some of the other work that I do is so rigorous and it's so tightly focused. And you know, I've drawn all these maps of like setting and time and place and character before I've even begun to write. There's so much very rigorous like scrutiny that has to go into, for example, writing a piece of fiction. Or so then the refuge of the studio to just make music and just let go and unleash and discover. It's like my greatest joy, to be honest. It's, yeah. I love it. And the, the other beautiful part about this album is if you, if you have the repeat button clicked, whether you're on streaming or CD, That's it. it starts and ends yeah. and it does sounds like one piece. Uh, I love when that happens. Yeah, me and, too. Uh, but for this, like it, you've said this before too, and I love this, that it, it becomes part of the story because yeah. you've, you've beaten the mountain, but the mountain is there again. Yeah, exactly the that. Day. Yeah, it's like you have this epiphany. You you know, it starts water in the rain, then move, then more pressure than grace. It's like you, this, you get this epiphany moment of um, understanding or clarity but then you wake up in the morning, you've got to do it all over again. It's not like you just have one epiphany and that's you set for life. Like it's, it's actually what you do with it, you know, and it's about behavior and it's about, um, Oh, having the courage to keep, keep going. Like, you know, it's not like you, you just, yeah. So we, we get to this moment of grace, but then the album keeps playing and you end up back at priority boredom, back where we yeah. began, you know, got to do well, it all over again. A 
Yeah, as a fan, I say thank you for putting as much love into this album with thoughtful moments like that as you do, because it really makes this fun for us too. Great. Thank you for listening. That's really cool. Um, so I, I you know, I started with a broad question. I'll end with one too. You do the plays and, and the books and the albums. What's next? I mean, here's this record. It's, you know, we, we've got this one about to come out. What what happens next? Yeah, so I'll be touring this album for, you know, it's like 18 months, the touring cycle of an album, which means that it will become many things. It will become like a performance. It, it will start to live, which is really exciting. Uh, and then I've, I've almost finished a book of poems, new poems. They're like very formal, really rigid structures. I've just been buzzing off like structure basically pushing against structure uh, and then i have a play that i'm thinking about but i haven't even started yet things are at different stages i have a novel that i'm it's due in in november so uh, you know it lots and lots of ideas music uh I'm a, I'm a few songs into something that might be something one day but i don't know when it's like i work i have work that is happening that will take about five years you know that's yeah. that's how it works so I'm kind of, I'm, I've refilled the reservoir over the lockdown and now I'm just, you know, fishing. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's like. A perfect, uh, a perfect sentiment there to, to wrap this up. <laughs> Kate, thank you so much for doing what you do. The Line is a Curve, uh, such a fantastic record. I, I love it so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure to talk to you. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcast and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead. Download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. Now, the last time Kay and I talked was uh, back on the book of uh, Traps and Lessons. Uh, we got to talk about working with Rick Rubin on the record, uh, finding out uh, the right sounds to accompany their poetry, tying personal stories into the big picture of a, uh, of a lost Europe amidst Brexit at the time. The way the characters came at a, uh, a better version of themselves by the album's end, and what it's like to perform a piece like this on the Glatzenberry stage. So, part two, Kyle Meredith with Kay Tempest. Hello. Well, let me give you the compliments. This this album, this uh, the book of traps and lessons, has it sort of blew me away and shook up my world, and I uh, I can't stop thinking about it. So, the highest compliments well, there. Well, thank you for being open to it and for listening. Yeah, it's such an interesting project. You know, there's a few points we could start on here. I, I, I thought, you know, one of the easiest ones, as the story goes, you teamed with Rick Rubin for this. You know, he, he kind of sought you out after, after seeing you on a program. He's known for having a very hands-off approach. What was your studio relationship like? Yeah, he's pretty hands-off, absolutely. But uh, I suppose his role is is more a role of guidance than the role of producer that I'm used to. You know, I work really closely with Dan Carey, my producer, who produced my first two records. And that relationship is so much more involved. You know, we're 
we're writing together and we're we're talking about every single decision about which snare goes where and everything like that. But with Rick, it was it was much more that we would create music, we'd create demos, and then he would come in for an hour and he'd listen to what we'd made, and then he'd he'd talk about it with us, and then he'd leave us to keep writing, keep working, and then he'd come back in late in the afternoon or early in the evening, and he'd he'd listen again to what we'd made. Sometimes he would come in twice in the day, sometimes just once, depending on what was going on for him and in the rest of the studio. And maybe there's a part of you when you're kind of lost in the creative process and things are feeling challenging that wants more input or needs a bit more attention or something like that. But actually what what happens is that you discover that the decisions Rick hopes you'll make are decisions that he can't make for you. He just needs to encourage you to go on that journey to make those decisions if it's right for the idea. And the amount of faith that he has in, in me, that's how, the faith that I feel he has, is, is a faith that encourages me to stick with the challenges and go through it. And then when he comes in, it's like such, it's actually an amazing opportunity to have fresh ears on a demo because by the time you've finished the demo or, or made a bunch of songs, You've heard them, you know, so many times. You're so you're so exhausted from them because you don't even realise. But but when you've been listening to the same song or the same lyrics for four hours because you've been recording it or writing it or making it, you lose perspective. So then he would come in as a kind of fresh perspective and he would offer some guidance about how best to you know move forward. And hearing a song you're talking about over and over, I, I read that when it finally came time to lay this down, single takes, album in its entirety, three times a day, three days straight. Which, if that's true, uh, oh my God. What <laughs> is the emotional expense of something like that? Because this is heavy material. Well, I think that it's... The emotional expense is is correct. Like, this is high stakes. It should feel that you're really going through something and that you're really getting through something when you're when I am recording, you know, songs like these or an album like this. I feel like it's absolutely right that it takes a lot of focus and energy and determination and clarity to begin and continue for 45 minutes because that's how that's how that's how you're expecting your audience to engage with it. So unless you're meeting them there in that same space, then I, I think it's harder to ask for their attention unless you're giving the same, you know? And, you know, coming at it from a radio point of view too, of course, you know, we'll play one song at a time or something like that but it always <laughs> yeah. it, it always feels I feel like I'm like I'm like I'm doing something wrong occasionally I love like you know of course uh, we played Fire Smoke and uh, I've, I've really latched onto Holy Elixir you know putting it on the air uh, but but I can't do that at home obviously you know it's not like a hit and a shuffle like once I've hit play it is it's that commitment is there whether I knew it or not I'm not stopping <laughs> wow <laughs> that's really I'm, I'm glad to hear that's how you're engaging with it but I think it's kind of important to say that even though I hope people will listen to it that way I understand that that isn't the way that people listen to music and it's also exciting for me that somebody may discover a song on the radio if you play you know Fire Smoke or they may discover a song on a playlist or something and, and, and hopefully these pieces work like that you know, I don't know because I think of it as one piece, but hopefully they have their they have their space even when it's just a little few minutes extract, you know. Well when I listen to it, you know, I think one of the things that I really enjoy hearing is that there's this very big picture thing happening throughout it, but all these small stories in between. And and it seems like that might have been important for you uh, to kind of you know when we're talking about the big picture, obviously there's a there's there's environmental catastrophe, there's there's a, the politicalness of everything, but but there seems to be very personal stories happening. Is that the way that you wanted it to come across? Yeah, I mean, I think that the album is hoping to create this um, this kind of sense of the 
tension between the smallness of a life and the hugeness of the context in which that life exists. And the the album is intentionally trying to create an environment to express how that feels to be a person alive and you know with with the things that a person has to do like in the album it's brushing brushing your teeth or doing your shoelaces up or standing at the station getting a cup of coffee but these things are not isolated moments they they form part of a a much bigger framework of cause and effect event time you know so not only is that person at the train station getting that coffee that person is also in the town in the city in the country in the nation in the in the continent you know on the planet and i think that we are all as we move through our lives aware of this stuff and it creates this kind of heavy breathlessness to to our days and i wanted the album yeah i, I wanted that to be happening on the album for sure there are a um a few mentions of of your crumbling country uh, as you put it mm-hmm. i had wondered you know 2016 obviously the the song europe is lost came out and and is this the lost europe uh, i feel that's a pretty obvious question but uh, is 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 that how you see it too Oh man, it's um, it's a very strange time in the UK right now. I mean, it's a strange time everywhere, I suppose. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, all I can say is that I think that Brexit is a symptom of a of a deeper problem, a deeper sense of rootlessness, exhaustion, fear, you know. And Brexit didn't surprise me. Doesn't surprise. Doesn't surprise me. It's you know, it hasn't even happened yet. It may never happen. Who knows what's going to go on with it? What what bothers me and what hurts is some of the the trend in factionism that's happening, which is yeah, I mean it's it's just it's bizarre, it's bizarre. Nobody really knows what's going on here as well. It's like we've just got a new prime minister who's built his. Oh, anyway, I don't want to talk about it. It's, it's just so grim. It's so grim. No, I. But yeah, I mean it's not. I don't think the album is intentionally dealing with that stuff, but because that stuff is going on, it it does come out. So I think that it's important to say that when you're writing, you often don't even realise how much you have absorbed about something until you see it come out. And um, you know, it's like you you suddenly see you suddenly see how you've been feeling about something because there it is in the song. Mm-hmm. But it's not like I intended to make an album that had something to say about Brexit. I've got nothing to say about it apart from just I don't know what I don't know what it's all about. It is interesting how the journey plays over the record, too, because, you know, by track four, you know, three-sided coin, there's the line, why not lock yourself in? Or, well, I, I think I'm saying it wrong, but uh, paraphrasing okay. there. But, uh, <laughs> Say it how you like. It's yours now. <laughs> I no, made it. It's now it's yours. Well, I, I think I wrote down the idea, not the actual lyrics, but, that you know, the idea of just just lock yourself in, you know, and, and, and that's where we are in the early part of it, but but that does change. I mean... Uh, there is a hope in Hold Your Own only a few tracks later, you know, and, and, and I felt, to me, that was important. Obviously, I'm in the U.S., we're dealing with very similar things, that, you know, just, just beyond the fine details of what it's called, you know, the division over here, and, and to kind of go on that journey through this, because by the time you get there, that's needed, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that, that bit of advice. And the mood sort of changes, too, musically, on, on I Trap You, but it's not, um, like, that's, that's sort of a juxtaposition, right? So, I mean, that's, it's, it goes lighter, but not exactly? Yeah, it's like a terrifying kind of circus carousel like it's a bizarre it's it's a bizarre bit of musicality that we've we had a lot of fun experimenting with it just felt right that there was something so sweet being played on the piano while something so sinister is being said you know it's such like it's such a dark lyric really but setting it against that music gives it this 
this kind of sense of innocence, which I think it needs. Otherwise, it would be difficult to listen to. And I, feel, I actually, whenever I perform it live, I've been touring over the summer, and it's actually something I enjoy saying with a smile on my face. I love, I love saying it. Actually, I love standing there and saying. I trap you, like, and I trap you so much. And I see all these couples looking at me and looking at each other and being like, "Oh no!" It's, you know, it's like, but it feels, it feels like it doesn't feel accusatory. It just feels like an acknowledgement of something that so often happens in relationships. And it's, it's kind of tongue in cheek when we do it live, but on the record, I suppose it, it serves a more serious purpose, which is that the speaker of these poems is coming to this realization about their own behaviour in their own relationships when they've exhibited behaviours which have been damaging, which is what the whole first part of the album is kind of about, this damaging patterns of behaviour that this person is trapped in. And whether that's like violence of the state against an individual or the violence of this person against their partner in terms of you know, an obsession rather than a kind of healthy, abundant, loving relationship, they they realise that they've been trapping this other person. You know, the whole of the first album is dealing with how this person feels they are trapped in their own behaviours. And then the whole next part of the album, beginning with Hold Your Own, is supposed to be the book of lessons. That's where this person is trying to actually do something about this realisation they've had, this awareness they've suddenly got about their own behaviour. And they're trying to desperately put put this into practice and learn the lessons and change the behaviors. Does does the character become a better person by the end of it? Uh, well, the final song, People's Faces, you know, that I think that that's, I mean, it's just an expression of real tender love for strangers. And I think that that's a really positive and beautiful place for this person to find themselves in. That's I think that's a real mark of, of progress in this person's life, to be able to just fully and truly notice other people's experience and love them, love strangers. I think that's, hopefully it's a, it's a positive and hopeful note to leave the album on. I, I did want to ask about the music. We kind of brushed on it there, too. So much attention is uh, obviously paid to the lyrics for good reason. The music matches all of these sounds so much, whether, you know, it's it's talking about the, you know, that juxtaposition of I Trap You or just the amazing grooves that go throughout it. Is there mm. something you all went into saying this record needs to sound like this? No, this was the whole beautiful thing about what the process of making this album is that we had no idea what it was going to sound like or what it was going to be. All that we knew was that Rick had this kind of vision and he wanted to create music out of my poetry, with my poetry, that broke the conventions of hip-hop. Even though it, it begins in a hip-hop environment, it breaks all the conventions of hip-hop, that breaks all the conventions of our own creative work, you know, like, so... And that's lyrically and musically. So we would generate all these demos, and if there was something that Rick was excited by, he would encourage us, Dan Carey and I, Dan Carey, who writes the music, he would encourage us to pursue a certain sound or a certain idea he might say you know i like the lyric here but i don't you know i'm i think we can do something different with the music and so then we would often come away from meetings like that scratching our heads being like wow we love this beat like what's he talking about and because he couldn't say i want you to break convention because he didn't know that's what he wanted us to do he's just looking for an, a recognition of this idea that he has he's, he's trying to he's trying to just see his vision basically right. so we went on this crazy journey with the music where it started off where Rick was like, I don't want any drums. I don't want to make an album with drums. So then me and Dan were like, wow, what do we do? So we, we got the guitar out. We wrote you know, <laughs> wrote these like kind of folk songs. And then we realized that we could have drums. It's just that I had to not lock in with them. I had to go at the 
pace of the lyric and not lock in with the beat because when I lock in with the beat the lyric just becomes part of the music and it stops having its own integrity so that was like a moment of revelation we were like wow we can have beats like you know and then and then it was about what kind of musical landscapes we could produce and the more abstract the more yeah the, the more sonically abstract the better the better the more Rick was excited by it so what we've ended up with on the album has been a it's just been a beautiful process of trial and error and um the music and the lyrics they've they've had life together from the whole the whole process they've they may have started their lives together like uh, like I trap you those two that lyric and that music that they began their life together they belong together but something like brown eyed man that has that had like four different musical accompaniments before we found that particular one um people's faces that began with dan playing the chords and he just he woke up from a dream with this song in his head these chords in his head and we started to write and the first draft of that song is pretty much 60 percent, 70 percent of the song that ended up on the album and so the relationship between lyric and music or the whole it's been a it's been an amazing journey and really unlike anything else i've ever attempted to do and same with dan and it's it's interesting to hear. Of course, a lot of these tracks, you know, they bleed straight into the other ones. And and I, I thought, well, there's no way she probably wrote this in sequence like that. And and you know, so does the way? Did it ever uh, happen where the way one song ended dictated how you wanted to write the next song or something like that? No. So what we what we did is that we ended up with a situation where we had six six songs or five or six songs that Rick said, okay. These are exceptional. These are the songs. This is what the album is going to sound like. This is what's working. And when we had that breakthrough, then we, because for the whole time, don't forget, we didn't know what was going on. We, it was like at any minute, we thought we understood it. And then he'd be like, no, 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 this isn't right. <laughs> so finally, we got to the point where he said, yeah, this, these are the songs. And then we, then we took those songs away and we looked at them and we realized that there was a kind of shape uh, appearing, you know, and lyrically and musically, we started to realize that this was the beginning of an album. And, and then we began to write the shape of, you know, we, we began to fill in the detail, essentially. Mm-hmm. So it's like, now we know that these songs are going to be the, the bones of this thing. Now we can start to flesh it out. And the idea of themes reoccurring and the music not stopping all the way through and and linking and references being made to previous musical motifs and also lyrically things being repeated throughout that was definitely something that we began thinking about from that moment we wanted to make it feel coherent because also my previous albums have been narratives they've been like deeply involved narrative pieces of work and rick was just he was like look break your convention you know he's not interested in me saying here is a town here are the people he has a stronger reaction to me saying, I have seen, I have felt. But I needed the songs and the album to still have a feeling of cohesion because I, I believe that an album should feel like, a, you know, one piece of work. I wanted it to feel like that. And, it, and even though there wasn't a story running through it, you know, explicitly at that point, there, a story began to appear out of it. And that's when we wrote Thirsty and we wrote Keep Moving, Don't Move. And it all just, it began to take shape from that moment, really. And it sounds, I mean, it, it sounds... Perfect. It sounds like everything is exactly where it should be. <laughs> That's the mystery of making an album. Right. Once it's finished, it just sounds like it, it began that way. Yeah. But like, actually, we worked on this for like five years, you know, oh, on and off right. between different projects. So it's, um, you know, some of the demos that we made, it's just, it's just like ridiculous. Like, 
bizarre experiments. So, I mean, I'm, I, I agree with you. I feel like right now when I listen to it, it feels finished. And that's because I know as well, like, the journey that we've been on to get to the point where we can say, that's the album. Okay, we did it, you know. And then once it's done, you've taken it out on the road. What was Glastonbury like, you know, in, in that kind of setting, you know, for an hour to, to perform something like this? Is it is it different? I mean, like, Glastonbury is, uh, for me, a very special place. And I had an incredible time. I felt you know, absolutely overwhelmed, but also in control and, and you know, secure and content. Like, the last time I played Glastonbury, I was kind of freaking out, and this time I just felt so close to the music and so close to the lyrics, and I felt so overjoyed to have the opportunity to share with a, with a load of people who are having, a you know, a very particular kind of weekend, and then you come out into that space with these lyrics, and I think you just have to be completely prepared to be like, okay, so this isn't really party time and this isn't like the songs that you know and love and this this isn't even like anything impressive in terms of like bass lines or guitar solos or anything like that what this is going to be is what I do best and it's like having the courage to go out there with such a stripped down performance and just you know it's just me and Claire Uchima who plays with me she plays the synths and it's just us two on stage together it, it's so stripped down and in some ways it's the scariest thing in the world to do that but I feel like the fact that we took that risk at Glastonbury I think it really paid off I felt like the audience were like oh wow okay this is connecting with a different part of me right now and I think there's space for that at, first, at any gathering there's space there's space to go a little deeper definitely that's what music's for you know so I mean also you want to be able to have a good time and party and you know just dance but I think for an hour throughout the whole weekend to just connect with this kind of performance it felt like it went well I felt really happy and overjoyed and lucky and just proud it is great to watch the video of that and just to see as you're saying, in a festival setting and how we think about a festival setting and how people react, but just to see everyone so completely still and staring right at you and, and just taking it all in. Like, it's it's really noticeable, you know, to see something like that. And uh, I'm only envious that I wasn't there. <laughs> Kate, it is such a pleasure uh, to talk to you today. Thank you so much. Congratulations on the Book of Traps and Lessons. Thank you so much for your time and have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye. Speak to you later. Bye. And my thanks to Kay Tempest. Again, the new record is called The Line is a Curve. Thanks to you as well for checking out the episode. Please, again, hit that subscribe button before you get out of here. New episodes Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Podchaser, NPR, YouTube for the video versions, or anywhere you get your podcasts from. After that, head over to WFPK.org. It's where I do a show Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, an hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, bonus interviews, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern at WFPK.org. Consequence has your music and film news. You can also find me on the social media spots, uh, mostly on Twitter, but also Facebook and Instagram, all three of them at Kyle Meredith. I do hope you like and follow along. That does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. Hey there, it's Kyle Meredith from Kyle Meredith With. After you check out the latest episode of my show, uh, be sure to check out some of our other great programs on the Consequence Podcast Network 
including Standing BTS, a bi-weekly podcast covering all things BTS and ARMY, and The Opus, Consequence's original documentary podcast exploring legendary albums and their lasting legacies. So head to Consequence.net to listen to these podcasts and many great others. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.